Johnson. And this game is underway with a bang. This is where the lacrosse area gathers to talk Wisconsin sports. The Wisco Sports Show is on the air. Join in by phone or text at 796-2558. Now, here's Grant Bills. So, honesty time. When I was planning today's show, I was hoping to continue our conversation from yesterday. Talking about bringing back Major League Baseball. Possibly to begin July. That's what's been rumored. That's the plan. The plan that was being presented today. So, my hope, my goal, was that we'd get some news about, I don't know, 3, 4 o'clock. And then at 5 o'clock when I came on air, we could talk We could talk about it. We could discuss it. Well, we have no news. And I have notifications turned on for Ken Rosenthal, for Jeff Passan, for Bob Nightingale, for anybody and everybody who could possibly be breaking news about baseball and what went down in those meetings, those negotiations today. I'm I'm looking, and I have found nothing yet. So as news breaks, I want to talk about that. We do have some bad news, not about baseball, but about college football. Brett McMurphy tweeted out about a half hour ago, that three Mountain West schools, Fresno State, San Diego State, San Jose State, they're not going to offer on-campus classes this fall semester, which I'm afraid is going to become a a more widespread trend, which means there's not going to be any college football at those schools. And it was announced earlier today that Los Angeles might continue social distancing through August or even later than that, which means there's not going to be students on campus for those schools, talking about USC, UCLA, which means no college football. And if there's no Pac-12, what are we going to do? Just play a college football season without the Pac-12? We're just going to go Big Ten, SEC, ACC, Big 12, and just ignore the West Coast? So not looking good for college football. I don't want to do bad news today. We'll, we'll do that later this week. Let's talk college football. We'll talk the NBA and bad news later this week. Let's talk about baseball today. Coming up in about 10 minutes, we're going to be joined by David Gasper, who's the chief man at reviewing the brew. Personally, my favorite source of news outside of WKTYsports.com. My favorite source of news, my favorite place to get my Brewers commentary because there's just no BS, right? Sometimes I don't like to wade through the athletic or through ESPN. I just want a small, concise explanation of a move the Brewers made or a strategy that Craig Council is using. Or a lot of times, honestly, I go there to have confusing baseball things explained to me, like service time. Like, that's a big one. I still don't understand it. I just fly by the seat of my pants. And reviewing the brew, David Gasper, awesome work. We're going to have him on in about 10 minutes to talk about baseball. Let's re- let's recap what we know. Unfortunately, we don't know anything new today about how the plan that was unveiled. There was a meeting this afternoon between Major League Baseball Players Association and owners and the commissioner. This is what we know. There's going to be a shortened draft proposed on June 10th, five rounds instead of 40. A shortened season around 80 games. New divisions, they would combine regionally. So the AL West and the NL West would combine and all games would be played within those divisions. So the Brewers and Twids would combine for a super division of the Brewers, the Reds, the Pirates, the Cardinals, the Cubs, Twins, Tigers, Indians, Royals, and White Sox. Got it. I'm getting good at that. So that would be the Brewers division or if you're a Twins fan, same thing. And all games for those 80 regular season games would be played within that division. Then we play as many games in home parks as possible. So they're not going to have hub cities like was reported or brainstormed beforehand. They want to play all these games in legit ballparks. In Miller Park, Yankee Stadium, as of course the climate and and coronavirus allows. And I don't mean climate, I mean the coronavirus climate, of course. We're used to rain delays. That's something we can handle. 
and there's a new playoff format. Seven teams make it for both leagues, so 14 teams total, two division winners, or three division winners, or three, yep, three division winners, and three wild cards apiece. Seven playoff teams. So that's what we know, and that plan was presented by ownership and by MLB, by Major League Baseball, by the commissioner, to the players and the Players Association today. Yesterday, I was surprised that players were making a stink about money and not safety. I thought the sticking point would have been safety. I don't want to get coronavirus. I don't want to fly, I don't want to fly around, even if it's from Wisconsin to the Twin Cities to Chicago to Cleveland to Detroit. That's more traveling than I do on a regular basis. I know it's scaled down, but it's still a lot of travel. Baseball players got to be concerned about that. But yesterday, all the stink, all the, 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 the hullabaloo, I hate myself, was about money, not safety. Now I'm starting to put the pieces together. Because in sports, a player considers respect money. If Aaron Rodgers wants the Packers to respect him, he doesn't mean that Mark Murphy wants to call him into his office and say, Aaron, we're great. You know, you're doing such a good job. That's not what he's talking about. Respect equals money. Aaron Rodgers considers to be respected by the Packers when the Packers pay him. Respect equals money. And in this instance, I think safety equals money. Major League Baseball players are considering this hazard pay. They're the ones traveling around the country and going ballpark to ballpark and staying in hotels and taking a shuttle, taking an airplane. They're the ones putting their their health on the line. And they're willing to do it, but they want to be compensated. And compensated essentially with hazard pay. Right? They're like, man, if we're going to put our bodies on the line and our health on the line, we want to be paid for it. They are, after all, the ones taking the risk, not the owners. I understand why the players and the representatives are making a stink. This is a great time to make a stink. The the MLB Players Association knows the players have all the leverage here. There's no sports on TV right now. The NBA, and I don't think the NBA is coming back. We're going to talk about that later this week. And we got until the fall for the NFL, and it doesn't look like we're going to have college football. It looks less likely every day. So if Major League Baseball can find a way to get on TV... The financial incentive is very, very lucrative. Relatively lucrative because there's going to be no fans in, in the stands and they'll have fewer games. But better than nothing. And Major League Baseball knows this and so do the players. They have all the leverage. And for the same reason the players have all the leverage, this could backfire massively. So the players and their representation have to be really, really careful. Tony Clark, the MLBPA executive director, needs to be really, really careful. Careful. They do have all the leverage, but they have so much to lose. The backlash and the PR nightmare could be massive because we know the players are going to get blamed. We know it. The owners and Major League Baseball is going to say, well, we wanted to do it, but players wanted more money. And we'll believe it and we eat it up because we always do. Everyone says, well, I don't cheer for owners. Well, we don't. It, like, But we will side with the owners because that's what we do. That's what we always do. The players will get blamed. And it'll be a PR nightmare. The country's at 20% unemployment right now. And that doesn't seem to be getting fixed anytime soon. As excited as everybody is to get back to work. Unemployment's at an all-time high. People are making ends meet somehow by hook or by crook. And now we have baseball players who say, eh, we don't want to play. We don't want to go back to work. Yeah, that'll go over like a fart in church. When this country is as up in arms now as they have been, at least in my lifetime. This could backfire massively massively for the players. They have all the leverage. The MLB knows it. The Players Association knows it. The players know it. They could be the only product on TV 
It's possible. It's possible. And for that reason, they have all the leverage. And, and this is a big deal for players. This isn't some harmless negotiation. This isn't dotting a couple I's and crossing a couple of T's. Sean Doolittle, the closer for the reigning World Series champions, tweeted yesterday, bear with me, but it feels like we've zoomed past the most important aspect of any MLB restart plan. Health protections for players, families, staff, stadium workers, and the workforce it would require to resume a season. And he went off on this long thread about all of his concerns. Phil Hughes, former Twins reliever, said, I know everyone wants baseball back this year, but players won't be strong-armed into unsafe work conditions and unfair compensation. This isn't some casual disagreement. The Labor Association and the players are at an impasse right now, and it's all based about their compensation. This is what Tony Clark told The Athletic. A system that restricts player pay based on revenue is a salary cap, period. This is not the first salary cap proposal our union has received. It probably won't be the last. That the league is trying to take advantage of a global health crisis to get what they've failed to achieve in the past and to anonymously negotiate through the media for the last several days suggests they know exactly how this will be received. None of this is beneficial to the process of finding a way to safely get us back on the field and resume the 2020 season, which should be our sole focus. That's from the Major League Baseball Players Association executive director. He comes out and said, we know what this is. This is crap. The proposal that the MLB gave us, it's crap, and we're not taking it. This is toxic between players and their representation, and we all know Scott Boris, and, and, and the reach and the, uh, the influence that he has. This is going to be really ugly. And players might get what they want by hook or by crook, or they might just prevent baseball from coming back. And the players should be really, really careful what they wish for. The lockout in the 90s is an amazing example. I don't know how many people have explained and told me, yeah, after the lockout, I just, I didn't watch baseball anymore. And what ultimately got people back into it was the home run chase a couple of years later. People were out on baseball because the players came across as greedy. They didn't have enough money. They didn't want to deal with a salary cap. And people said, fine, screw you. We'll watch football. We'll watch basketball. We'll watch something else. I'm not saying the same would happen. But in a coronavirus-controlled world where there are no sports, if the players prevent baseball from coming back because of salary, you thought the Houston Astros thing was bad for the brand of baseball? This will be way, way worse. And the players will take the brunt of it. And the financial impact, forget PR, the financial impact on Major League Baseball and everyone involved with it. From the league, to the agents, to the people who work at the ballparks and the owners, it would be catastrophic. And I don't want to get into that because I want to do bad news later this week. I want to talk about fun stuff today. We got enough fun stuff to talk about, at least for a little while. We're going to talk to David Gasper of Reviewing the Brew coming up next. Get his thoughts on all this. I don't know. Should we ask him about the Brewers starting rotation? Or would that just kind of be a waste of time? We'll see where it goes. We'll talk the MLB Players Association and BMLB trying to come to a consensus on compensation to just maybe get baseball rolling again here in the next two months. David Gasper, reviewing the brew, coming up next. Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. The Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. I'm your host. Hope you're doing well. It was kind of a lackluster afternoon. I was hoping for some excitement today. Baseball rolling out its proposal, meeting with Players Association and their representation. Anybody who's anybody in baseball was in on this meeting today as Major League Baseball rolled out this proposal to try to get things started here in early July. And we've talked about the details, and I'm sure you read them. We don't need to talk about the details of the draft and the start date of the season. They're trying to get it going. 
and we're hung up on salary. And and I thought, let's bring in one of the experts. He's a guy I lean on for Brewers coverage, especially like David David Gasper of Reviewing the Brew. David, I, I was telling my listeners right when the show started, I'm like, I I talk to David when I need something like service time uh, explained. And I didn't think baseball could get more complicated, and it's managed to do that in the last couple of weeks. How are you doing, man? you got to be bored with no baseball. Yeah, yeah, there's there's not much to do, but you know, you got your your Hulu subscriptions, your Disney Plus, you got every you got, you know, all that stuff. You got Korean baseball on, on ESPN <laughs> now. Uh, so just kind of find ways to to fill the time throughout the day. I saw you were doing a bracket of all-time Brewers managers on on reviewing yeah. the Brew. I saw that on Twitter today and I'm like, this is this is how I seek to fill my time during quarantine is with things like that. So I I definitely appreciated <laughs> seeing that. Dave, I guess I'm just going to ask you straight up, David. Are you surprised like me that the hanging point, the 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 the, the last, how do I want to put this? The fly in the ointment. That's the best way to put it. Is salary and not safety. I thought players would be concerned about safety and staying healthy, but for the most part, they sound pretty willing to work. It's just they want to be paid fairly. That's the hang up. Are you surprised that this is about money and not anything else? I'm really not that entirely surprised with with the way the Players Association and MLB have been going at each other the past couple of years. And, you know, there are a lot of players who are concerned, you know, about safety, about tests, about, you know, not getting sick and or bringing it home to their families or, or things like that. Uh, Sean Doolittle had a really long thread on Twitter the other day talking about that and, you know, how the players are concerned about safety like that. And um, MLB, uh, with their proposal, a lot of it's really just kind of focusing on uh, the money aspect and things like that. So just kind of over the past couple of years, um, really since the last CBA, um, there's been a deepened mistrust between the Players Association and Major League Baseball, which has made um, things pretty contentious uh, between the two over the past couple of years. And then they have to work together on something like this, and it's it's really difficult for them because neither side really trusts each other, and there, there's been some bad blood recently. And with the new CBA coming up uh, after the, 21, the 2021 season, it's just it's so difficult for both sides to really kind of be in a good position uh, to navigate through this. Do you think a big issue in baseball in comparison to the NFL or to the NBA is that Owners don't really have to reveal their financials. Like, that's what I've kept hearing the last two days is, well, this whole thing is complicated by owners keeping their books closed. Because we don't really know. Like, we've had reports and anonymous sources saying that, you know, ticket money and and, and gate entry makes up for 40 to 50% of all the income that, that teams bring in. And, and that's kind of where that number is humbered. Do you think there's a lack of trust and a lack of of faith in these two parties just because everything's so secretive? Like, like the, the Players Association is so concerned that, a salary cap is going to be forced onto them. That's not how I would look at it because we're living in a pandemic. But these two sides obviously have a history. It, I think they're just scared more than anything of a salary cap. How much secrecy is there between these two parties, at, at least in comparison to the NFL and the NBA? Yeah, I think there's definitely a lot more secrecy um, between them because MLB is not required to release their financials. Um, but you know, we know the Players Association also knows that you know baseball revenue or generates about 10 to 11 billion dollars in revenue um, every single season you know it's a 10 11 billion dollar industry and the players themselves um, coming coming into this year the the total salary for players on big league rosters was at about four billion when you combine all the teams 
um, which which is you know not close to fifty fifty. And you look at the proposal that the MLB had is a fifty fifty split of revenue from this season, which if you look at it on its face is like okay that that seems like it's fair. It, it makes sense. Um, but the issue from from the players' association side is that. You know, when the owners, you know, are making money and, and it's a good season, they got a whole bunch of profits coming in, you know, they don't kind of push that back, you know, with the players and, and make it somewhat, you know, even there, there's no kind of trickling of, of that profit to them. So they keep on um, not getting anything extra in the good years. Um, so the owners keep all the profits from that. But yet in a bad year, um, when there's not going to be much revenue, now they want a 50-50 split. So now, so now they want sure. the players to share in the losses of this year. And it's just that they, they don't want to do that because they're not getting anything in, in the good times. So why should we help you out like this in, in the bad times? And that's where part of that mistrust is. And the Players Association knows that, MLB has been trying to push for a salary cap for years. It's the reason we had the strike in 1994 uh, that, that ended that season. And, you know, it's something that the Players Association is steadfast against. You know, it, it's it's one of the core principles to be against anything that could put a cap or a limit on, rev- or, uh, on revenue, on money for players. So have, having that, even just for this year, they feel like would be a precursor to having it um, again. And they, they had an agreement back in March that the, that the players will be play, paid based on a prorated uh, n- number of games. You know, if they play 82 games, they're going to get 82 games pay from their regular salary. So they, they don't want to agree to any further uh, salary reductions, which in a season like this where revenue is going to be way down from your original $10, $11 billion, they don't want to, to accept any more losses than, the, than they've already accepted. Well, there was a clause, a very visible clause that I've read about and I've heard talked about. This wasn't secret. I don't think you have to be a lawyer to understand this. There was a clause in that March, was it March 20th agreement, where they have a, a right to revisit and adjust this based on what happens, which is completely fair, by the way, because we're all going through a pandemic for the first time, unless you're, geez, 100 years old. So players knew that this was going to be yeah. revisited. Here's my question, David, and, and you might not know the exact answer, and, and that's understandable because I'm not sure. I know I don't know the exact answer. What are the players looking for? What kind of payment system are they looking for? Because a 50-50 split makes sense to me. I understand why the players don't like it, but if they don't like it, I think it's on them to provide a compromise. What do you think they're they're trying to get out of this? I think the players want to have MLB um, honor the, the March agreement where they get paid based on a prorated of a prorated salary of the number of games that they play. So you okay. play, you know, what what's going to be affect half the season. You get half of the salary that you originally signed for. They already agreed to that, and that's really kind of what uh, they're sticking to. They they want to end up with you know as, as much as as they can, and you know they're the ones that, that are going to be going out there, um, basically putting themselves um, at risk of of contracting the virus and. And, and putting their health at risk and the health of their family at risk. Meanwhile, the owners, they, they don't have to do that. The, the ownership group, MLB, they can all just stay at home, stay in their home offices, and, and they don't have to go out and do anything with that. But the players do. Yeah. They're putting themselves on the line. So that's why they're asking for for more um, than, 
than, than what MLB is trying to push. Because MLB is trying to say that because there are no fans, um, at least at least to start the season, we're going to have no fans in the stadiums. Yeah. Then, you know, we're going to have less money coming in. We can't pay you as much money. But the players are looking at it where the owners are making money hand over fist pretty much every single year with, with you know the billions of dollars in profits that you know they they can handle taking a hit you know or, or having one down year this year and, and they're going to be fine. It's it's a fascinating idea. The owners don't want to share with the players during the the fruitful years. So the players aren't willing to take losses with the owners for this bad year. Okay, that's that puts it into perspective. I think exactly well. that. Yeah. Exactly. So, Perfect. You said it right on. David Gasper. Well, you can tell my brain was working pretty hard there as I tried to t- talk myself through it. <laughs> David Gasper reviewing the brew. Uh, let's do a, let's do something fun to wrap up. Let's assume baseball does get back for a July first start, and they're able to play out the rest of the season. What have you been fantasizing about? Because I know we both love Craig Council. What kind of fantasies have you had about Craig Council working with a, a thirty-man roster all season long? Oh man, it's it, it's going to be crazy. I mean, you give Craig Council, you know, a couple extra players on his roster like that, a taxi squad to kind of follow him around. Man, it, it's going to be something to watch. You're going to have, you know. Whether it's openers, you're going to have pinch hitters, and unless they put in the universal DH, then you're not going to need that as much. Uh, but like mix and ma- mixing and matching with the DH, you know, putting Ryan Braun in there a lot of times, maybe putting Keston Hira in there some of the times, or Brock Holt, or yeah. Abisail Garcia, so many different guys you could put in that spot and rotate through uh, because they have a lot of depth. Um, the things you can do with the pitching staff, um, having a couple of extra pitchers throughout the year, I mean, it's just it's just going to be insane. And you give Craig Council something like that, I mean, despite the Brewers, you know, everyone really kind of universally saying, okay, they took a step down in terms of talent because they went from Yasmani Grandal and Mike Moustakis to a combination of Omar Narvaez and Jed Jerko and Eric Sogard. You know, you're, you're taking a step down in the ceiling there, but... Don't forget about you know, Ryan with their depth, Right, right, of course. My guy. So you get... You get all those guys, you know, you get that depth. You, and Craig Council is probably the best manager in baseball at using that talent to the max and getting the most out of his guys. So giving him a couple extra guys to work with, it's just going to be that much more insane to watch. No, I, I can't wait. To, and I hope it I hope it does happen. I hope these negotiations go smoothly. I mean, Negotiations are, are never easy because two sides want com- two completely different things, but you hope they get through them. You hope they settle on something so we can have baseball to talk about before too long. David Gasper, reviewing the brew. I know you want baseball back just as bad as I do and as our listeners do. Let's keep our fingers crossed, and hopefully next time you're on, David, we can actually talk about real games or spring training or something, man. I appreciate the time. Stay well. Absolutely. Watch the, the KBO on ESPN. we got Korean baseball to Hell talk yeah. about Tyler Saladino is over there. People forget Tyler. Now I need to watch KBO. That's right. Tyler Saladino. <laughs> are you writing about KBO at all for reviewing the brew, or are you, are you just watching for pleasure? Uh, we, we have not been writing about it. We, we had a, a Twitter poll up on, you know, kind of who Brewers fans are, are rooting for. Most are rooting for the NC Dinos. Yeah. Um, Eric Thames' old team. Uh, a couple of votes for the Samsung Lions, where Saladino is. But mostly, uh, I'm, on, I'm on the NC Dinos bandwagon. Their, their games look pretty rowdy from what I've seen, so I think I can get on the Dinos band. They are. They, well. they just had a, a walk-off home run today. Yeah, they went to extras this morning, didn't they? In 10 innings. Ugh. Yeah. 
And I wasn't watching. I was still sleeping when it was on. They, they, they need to do that well. I, I, we should talk about KBO another time. I got to take a break. David, you have an awesome night, man. Let's talk soon. You, you too, man. See ya. See ya, David. That's David Gasper reviewing the brew. Uh, and, and with the KBO, it's, it's funny because it reminded me this morning of when I've heard so many people say, well, they, they're play the games so early in the morning. I'm like, well, yeah, it's their league. They're in Korea. It reminded me of the time of, uh, when Lance Armstrong was killing the Tour de France and the Americans are like, hey, do you think you could you can move the time so we could watch it? And the French are like, you're kidding me. It's the Tour de France. It's our thing. We're not going to move it. But that's just kind of that's kind of the American way. I want to transition away from baseball. I want to talk Green Bay Packers when we come back. I want to talk about the draft. I don't want to yell and, and complain about Jordan Love. That's not what I'm here to do. Let's talk about the draft, what it might mean for this year's Packer team. And I want to talk about Mike McCarthy, because why not? All that coming up next. The Wisco Sports Show back in a moment here on WKTY. Wisco Sports Show rolls on here on WKTY. Thanks for hanging out. I'm your host, Grant Bills. Hope you're doing well. Bear with me. First week back here on the Wisco Sports Show. I got in, by the way, and the microphone was unplugged. So I can thank Dave Carney for that one. The studio already smells like bleach. These are weird times we're living in. Unprecedented, unparalleled, unequaled times that, that we're living in. I really wish the show would have been on the air during the draft. Because we would have had so much to talk about. I mean, you can break down every player, every prospect, where they're going to play, how the coaches are going to utilize them, what they did in college, and it just goes on and on and on. You can talk about the draft for days. And I would have loved at the time to talk about the individual picks and get into things in detail, but it's been three weeks. So now, if we're going to talk about the draft, we got to take a little bit of a bigger picture approach, right? Jordan Love in the first round, A.J. Dillon in the second. Then they took the tight end DeGuara in the third round, Josiah DeGuara. They didn't have a fourth-round pick, so they go inside linebacker with Kamal Martin, and then they go guard, center, tackle, safety, defensive end. So, per the Brian Gutekind's method, attacking one position with kind of a shotgun approach, as he did with running backs and wide receivers, and now he is doing with offensive linemen, taking a guard, a center, and a tackle in the sixth round. Hopefully one pans out, and they address one of the spots on their offensive line. I don't want to dwell on Jordan Love. He's kind of his own thing. That that pick, taking a quarterback, is its own thing. And there's a lot of reasons why they did it, right? There were no wide receivers that fell to them. By the time that Brandon Ayuk came off the board to the Niners, there were six wide receivers already taken. The Packers aren't going to reach at pick 30. You don't want to reach, especially on a wide receiver. Those take a couple of years to develop. So they went elsewhere. They probably assume that no quarterback as good as Jordan Love is going to be available to them as long as Aaron Rodgers is on the team. So they said, well, it's probably a year or two too early, but we're going to take Jordan Love because we don't think we'll have an opportunity to take a quarterback like Jordan Love until Aaron Rodgers is gone because you can assume the Packers are going to be picking at least in the high 20s, maybe the low 30s if things go well like they did last year. I don't love the Jordan Love pick. I understand why they did it. I understand their logic. I don't know if I love Jordan Love as a player, but the Packers spent a lot more time on things, watching tape, talking to coaches, doing their research. They take way more time than I do, so I'm not going to second-guess the Packers. My only reservation is that Patrick Queen was on the board. Packers have this thing with obvious defensive picks. They didn't want TJ Watt. He's turned out as good as everyone thought. They didn't want Derwin James. He turned out as good as everybody thought. Patrick Queen, I thought he was the guy. When they traded up, I'm like, okay, they want to make sure they get Patrick Queen. 
They get their inside linebacker, hopefully to hold down the inside of that defense for the next eight years. Awesome. The linebacker they haven't had at inside linebacker until, what, Clay Matthews in 2014? And then they took Jordan Love. And I know a lot of people are trying to justify that. Well, Bill Belichick didn't want Patrick Queen. Yeah, Bill Belichick hasn't been great drafting in the first round. But the Ravens did want him. And the Ravens know a thing or two about linebacker play and defensive talent. I hope Patrick Queen doesn't turn into Derwin James, TJ Watt, another great defensive player that the Packers just simply kind of didn't want. He was there to take. They didn't want him. They end up with Jordan Love as well. Like I said, I don't want to dwell on that pick today. I want to talk about rounds two through seven. Specifically rounds two, three, four, five, six. I don't need to talk about the safety they took or the defensive end. The end of the draft, they're just they're throwing darts at a dartboard. Let's talk about the running back tight end and then the group of offensive linemen. Because I think those picks indicate how the Packers will look this year, or at least the direction they're trending. Because all picks take a couple of years to work out. You might see flashes in that first year. You might see potential. But draft picks typically don't turn into consistent contributors for a year or two or three. Three or four in the case of Devontae Adams, or two in the case of Kenny Clark. Those players taken from rounds two to six are indicating which direction the Packers are trending, even if you don't see the immediate impact this fall. First of all, I don't know why I'm the only one jacked about the A.J. Dillon pick. This is such a sneaky good pick. Weeks before the draft, I was saying the Packers should take a running back. They should take a good running back in the second or the first round. If things fall that way, they should take a running back. Because they're great in the running game. They're great at throwing the ball to running backs. So, build your strength. Cultivate your strengths. Draft another running back, just like Mike McCarthy and Ted Thompson pumped up their strength of wide receiver in 2011 when taking Randall Cobb. It's okay to double down on a strength. It's okay. And they did that in round number two. I think the combination of Jones, Williams, and Dylan is going to be awesome. And I'm excited to see what kind of creative possibilities are laying in wait with Matt LaFleur, what he's going to do with those three guys this fall. I love that pick. Love it. Really, what all these picks mean, the running back, tight end, offensive lineman, it means the offense is changing. In 2019, Matt LaFleur's first year, the offense was a mix of what Aaron Rodgers liked, what was left over from the Mike McCarthy era. It was a mix of that and new concepts Matt LaFleur wanted to bring in. And at times it was clunky. At times it looked forced. And at times it looked kind of like they were they were trying to have their cake and eat it too. They added sprinkles here and there in 2019 and 2020 of what LaFleur wanted to do while holding over things that Rodgers liked from his time under Mike McCarthy. And you know what's funny? The Matt LaFleur-isms from last year, they worked. They were really, really effective. Today, I rewatched the Packers-Chiefs game from week eight, and I rewatched the Cowboys game. Was that week four, week five? Switching running backs mid-series or using both Williams and Jones on the field at the same time? Something Mike McCarthy would never do. All right, Eddie Lacy, it's your series. Go to town. All right, now, James Starks, it's your turn. Go out there. You got the next series. Matt LaFleur mixed and matched, subbed, and put them both out at the same time. That's something Mike McCarthy never did, and it worked. Matt LaFleur instituted a lot of tap passes and pre-snap lateral motion, meaning guys coming from one side to the other, sweeping, jet sweep style stuff. Mike McCarthy never really did that. And you know what? It worked. Those tap passes were pretty effective, especially when they went to Aaron Jones or Devontae Adams. A really easy way to get your playmaker the ball. 
without having to drop back and avoid pressure and navigate the the pressure and, and move the pocket and then throw the ball down the field. No, let's just get Devontae Adams the ball. Let's tap him a pass. Let's tap him a two-feet pass. Doesn't get any easier. They ran a lot of screenplays out of stacks, right? They bunch up wide receivers on the right side and then get it to Alan Lazard with a couple of blockers in front of him. Once again, a really easy, efficient way to get a playmaker the ball. Did a lot of play action. A lot of play action. Goff and Garoppolo last year ran more play action than any other quarterback. Their coaches, Sean McVay, Kyle Shanahan. Very, very connected to Matt LaFleur and what he wants to do offensively in Green Bay. Tight ends in the backfield, putting Jay Sternberger back there. Very similar to what they do with George Kittle. Involve him in the run game as a blocker, but when he is involved in the pass game, don't overthink it. Let's line him up in the backfield or at tight end and basically allow him to leak out. That's the best way to describe tight end play under Shanahan, specifically with George Kittle. He's just going to leak out. He's going to sneak. He's not going to run a huge vertical route or a deep crossing. No, we're just going gonna to line him up somewhere harmless and we're going to sneak him into the play. And I think that's what they're going to do with Sternberger. That's what they started to do last year. And that's what they're going to do with DeGuara, their third round pick. More Matt LaFleurisms from last year are going to be added in to this upcoming season. When I was rewatching Packer games today, it was funny. A lot of the things that didn't work offensively last year were Mike McCarthy ideas. Those things that Aaron Rodgers wanted to hold on to and mix with what Matt LaFleur brought to the table. Moving the pocket, long developing plays, Aaron Rodgers keeping the ball and holding the ball, running timing routes and back shoulder routes. You know what a timing, a timing route and a back shoulder route Compare that to a tap pass. Do you know how hard it is to complete a back shoulder throw 15 yards down the field? Everything needs to be perfect. Do you know how easy it is to tap the ball two feet forward into the hands of Devontae Adams, who's already running full speed? Timing routes and back shoulder routes. When you got Jordy Nelson, you got Devontae Adams or James Jones or Greg Jennings, Darnold Driver, that's great. But when you have Al Lazard and Marquez Valdez-Scantling and Devin Funchess, Let's keep it simple. I Earlier today, I was thinking that, you know, a timing route or a back shoulder throw, very similar to a mid-range jumper in the NBA today. If you have Kawhi Leonard or Kevin Durant or Michael Jordan, awesome, because it's really, really hard to defend a good mid-range player. But it's not an efficient shot. It's not an easy shot. Just take a three-pointer or a layup. Don't bother with the stuff in between. Don't bother with a back shoulder throw. Why not run a tap pass or a screen or a slant? Much easier. And those are the ideas that Matt LaFleur wants to bring into this offense. And I think we're going to see more of it this year. It's surprising to me how many Packer fans hate that Matt LaFleur is getting more control on this offense. We hate it. And you know why? It's Mike McCarthy's fault. Mike McCarthy did this to us. And I want to talk about that. Wrap up the Wisco Sports Show coming up next year on WKTY. Final segment of the Wisco Sports Show here on WKTY. My name is Grant Bills. Appreciate you tuning in. Don't forget you can find every show in podcast form. Just go to WKTYsports.com or download our mobile app. Catch up on everything that you missed. Still waiting for baseball news. No news yet as the plan was kind of rolled out and presented to the players and the Players Association today. Those negotiations are expected to, uh, well, they're expected to be tough. Because the players, the, the the current model of splitting revenue 50-50, it's a non-starter for players. They're not even going to listen to that idea. So until they come up with a completely new premise, I don't think negotiations are going to go anywhere. Nonetheless, I've been 
refreshing Twitter every six seconds, hoping something's coming out, hoping that baseball may be coming back in July like this plan would indicate. In the meantime, we've been talking Packers and how the offense might look this fall. Matt LaFleur wants to change it. He wants more influence. He wants to get rid of the old way that Aaron Rodgers has been doing things and give him a running game, giving a short passing game, a good offensive line, good tight end play, which is not exactly what Packers fans have become accustomed to. Mike McCarthy brainwashed us. He did. Mike McCarthy brainwashed us. Let me explain. Everybody loves to talk about how Packers fans are privileged to have Hall of Fame quarterback play for the last, what, 30 years since Brett Favre came to town. Everybody loves to talk about that. You know what nobody really talks about? Is Packers fans were also pretty privileged to have one head coach from 2006 to 2018. Head coaches don't stay on that long. Unless you're coaching for the Steelers. Head coaches never last that long. In comparison, the Vikings had Childress, Frazier, Zimmer from 2016 to 2014. A smaller window. And the Bears, from 2013 to 2018, a five-year window, have had Tressman, Fox, and Nagy. The Packers had one coach. Now that's a little bit more par for the course for the Packers organization. They do move slower. They're not the Steelers, but they're not the Bears or the Vikings. Because Mike McCarthy was around for so long, we began to view the reality of football and the reality of the NFL as the Mike McCarthy reality because that's all we knew. One-on-one routes, Aaron Rodgers making reads, extending plays, doing his magic, and also like a pretty predictable run game. Like, all right, we'll get Eddie Lacy, we'll run on first and second down, and then we'll break down and just let Aaron Rodgers do his thing on third down. That's the Mike McCarthy offense. And when Aaron Rodgers is playing at an MVP level, which from 2009 to 2014 he was, and when you have incredible wide receiver talent, which they did, it works really well and it's really tough to stop. But it's hard to replicate if the wide receiver talent isn't so great or the quarterback isn't playing so great. But that became our reality. The Mike McCarthy reality became our football reality. We knew no other way. And what, like I said, when McCarthy had weapons, he was unstoppable. In 2009... When they lost a playoff game and scored 45 points, they had Donald Driver, Greg Jennings, James Jones, Jordy Nelson, and then, of course, the Super Bowl year where they had Driver, Jennings, Jones, Nelson, but then they also had Jermichael Finley, who ended the year on injured reserve. In 2011, the year they go 15-1 and and have one of the best offenses I've ever seen, they add Randall Cobb in the second round on top of Driver, Jennings, Jones, Nelson, Finley. Those wide receiving cores were really, really good. And Aaron Rodgers was playing at an MVP level consistently. So Mike McCarthy's offense, which is simple by design, was impossible to stop. Because Aaron Rodgers and his targets were just that much better than everybody. When did things start to go south, however? Let's talk about 2015. I think the best way to describe the Packers' 2015 offense is disjointed. It never looked smooth. And it was different from what we had become accustomed to from 2009 to 2014. 2014, the year they made the NFC Championship game. Well, the wide receiving core had a lot to do with that. They had Devontae Adams, who was in the middle of his worst year as a pro. Jared Abraderis, Jeff Janis, James Jones, who they got off the scrap heap. Randall Cobb, who couldn't stay healthy. And Jordy Nelson was on IR alongside Ty Montgomery. And the Packers offense in 2015 was disjointed. It was awkward. It was bad. Same head coach, same system, different players. And now in Dallas, Mike McCarthy has Amari Cooper, Michael Gallup, CeeDee Lamb, Ezekiel Elliott, who's probably the best running back he's ever had. 
unless you want to argue for Ryan Grant or one year of Eddie Lacy. Mike McCarthy has really good weapons. You think that had something to do with him going there with Jerry Jones saying, I think McCarthy's the guy for the job. And McCarthy's saying, I want that job. Because this Cowboys team mirrors what the Packers had for six years between 2009 and 2014. When the Packers and Mike McCarthy were at their best. The problem is, we started to know that is the only way. That became our reality. That's not the reality. The reality is you should design your offense based on the players you have. Not on what you think is best. And I think Mike McCarthy started to think, my way is the best. It doesn't matter who our players are. Matt LaFleur, a little bit younger, hopefully not that stubborn. Mike McCarthy was notoriously stubborn. LaFleur wants to get away from the isolation routes. He wants to scheme guys open. He wants to make Aaron Rodgers easy throws and give him easy reads, not the opposite, which sometimes was the Mike McCarthy way, timing routes, back shoulder stuff. Let me ask you this. What's easier? What would be easier for the Packers? To build up a wide receiving core to try to mimic what they had in 29, 2010? 2009, 2010. Is it easier to build up the wide receiving core from what they have or build your run game? I think it's a lot easier to build your run game. You have a great offensive line with young talent, Elton Jenkins, and veteran presence at left tackle and at center. And Billy Turner's a veteran as well at right tackle. You have two great running backs and an an offensive-minded head coach who likes to run the ball. That's what I would be focused on, not on the wide receivers. And we can't get out of this mindset of the Mike McCarthy way because for 10-plus years, we didn't know anything else. I want to continue this conversation tomorrow. We're going to have a new segment. We're going to rewatch an old Packer game. Well, I'm going to rewatch an old Packer game, and then we're going to talk about it. Pack in time or pack to the future. I haven't picked the name yet. We'll settle on it tomorrow. Wisco Sports Show, same time, same place. Talk to you then.